and welcome to the ArborPod Detective Dendro series. Today's guest is Guy Mayer in the case of the disheveled Mishoei. This podcast is provided by the International Society of Arboriculture. It was a day like any other. Kodit was aloft in a Quercus shamardii, reducing its branches away from the rare Quercus frenetto that it was crowding. Right there, you got it, I called as he pointed his handsaw at a point just beyond a stout lateral. That cut looks smaller than two inches, and it's in line with a new crown outline. 20% off provides at least five feet clearance for the frenetto. That fits our specs, so just follow that general outline as you descend. Confident that Kodit's work would meet the owner's objective of adequate clearance for at least three years, I left the work zone and took off my helmet. Star Hill Forest Arboretum had many species of oak that were new to me, so I took my time as I examined them one by one. Minutes melted away, so fast that I was startled to hear Kodit's voice downhill from me. Hey, Dendro, come look at this one, he called. This swamp chestnut oak is looking pretty rough. I found my way through the young grove, growing in the scorcetum to its southern edge. There, still in his saddle, my apprentice was gazing at the crown of a Quercus mishoxii that indeed appeared quite disheveled. I was coming back uphill after dragging brush down to that habitat area, he said, flinging sweat from his brow as proof of his exertions. This discolored yellow and brown foliage stuck out of the red autumn color like a sore thumb. The branch ends are worst, going from chlorotic to necrotic, discolored to dead. An oak wilt pocket was treated last year, not far away. Maybe this tree got infected through root grafts. The twigs appear to have a rough texture, he noted, picking one off the ground. I'm not sure how typical that is. The tree's on the sunny side of the grove, and this summer's drought was one of the worst ever. I know they haven't put irrigation into this area yet. What do you think, Dendro? I focused my binoculars and replied, The answer lies in a nickname used by a popular puppet pig and in the symbol of my astrological sign. Let's head back to the nursery building. My water bottle's empty. Bring the twig along if you would. Coded absentmindedly twirled the twig between his fingers as we walked. This twig has a spiral sort of form. Strange, he frowned, sarcastically adding. I just love your arboricultural clues. About pigs? Let's see. There was a pig movie called Babe, and Wilbur and Charlotte's Web, but did they use nicknames? And you were born in October, but what does astrology have to do with the tree? I don't believe in that stuff. It's not scientific. Science can be found in some unlikely places, I smiled, as I refilled my bottle from the hose and pointed to a one-gallon pot. So can spiral arrangements. Observe the bumps on this seedling. What do you think is the cause? The nuts of Quercus insignis can reach two and one-half inches, 6.3 centimeters, in diameter. It's the largest just then. Kodit's phone hummed in his pocket. Hold that thought, Dandro, he said, flipping his phone open. My friend out in Portland, Oregon, just emailed me this photo. Look at the smooth, round bumps on the Quercus gariana, the Oregon white oak. Those are some big ones, aren't they? I leaned over to look and laughed. Big, yes, but what? Now that is the question. Quite a coincidence. We now have three very different oaks, all with spiraling bumps. Let's break for a lunch and think it over.
I still don't know what it has to do with pigs or astrology, Kodit said. But I think the bumps on those Meshoxii twigs are some kind of sucking insect. Right you are. I thumped him on the back as I swallowed my last slice of onion. As you may remember from The Muppet Show, Miss Piggy's nickname for her amphibious boyfriend was Kermie. As for our astrological connection, October-born Librans strive for balance, so the sign for Libra is the scales. Those small sucking pests are known as Kermie's scales. Their damage has exceeded our client's tolerance threshold, so we'll specify a dormant oil spray to suffocate the scale insects. Kermie scale, Coded groaned, rubbing his forehead. Anyway, December's a good time here in the Northern Hemisphere for that kind of control, but what does it have to do with the bumps on that seedling? Coded wondered. Very little, I replied, stroking the stem with my thumb. In your botany class, you learned that a node is a growth point on a stem. Three or more leaves or buds at a node are called a whorl, and two at a node will be opposite each other. When there is one growth per node, they alternate in a spiral, as you saw when you twirled that twig. This means that their points of attachment, if connected by a line, form a spiral around the stem, each leaf arising a short distance to one side of the leaf below. Where leaves are either opposite or whorled, they stand in definite cycles. That maximizes collection of sunlight, right? Coded rhymed. And that bud at the tip of the stem is the terminal bud. I continued. In most woody plants of colder regions, resting buds are formed, and growth is periodic. There's a short period of bud opening in the early spring, but then there is often a second flush of growth during a warm summer. New buds appear later in the growing season, remain dormant over the winter, and expand during the following spring. In nearly all such winter buds, the base develops protective scales, not to be confused with Kermie scales. The arrangement of leaves on a shoot is called phyllotaxy in Greek and in textbooks. I smiled. The stem does not put out leaves as it elongates, but only separates expanding leaves that formed at nodes inside the bud. A node produces not only leaves, but also buds that develop into branches. Because of their position on the stem, these buds are called lateral or axillary buds. Branches of the stem also arise as buds, one of which is ordinarily formed in the axle, the upper angle between the leaf and stem. They usually appear before the leaves reach their full size, but lay low until the time is right. Because lateral buds are formed in the leaf axles, their arrangement always follows the leaf arrangement, being either alternate, opposite, or whorled. The leaves may fall off as the branch develops, generally leaving a visible leaf scar, like this one here. Kodit squinted as he adjusted his hand lens. I see it, he exclaimed, pulling out his measuring tape. I can also see the scars formed by the terminal buds. This one grew four inches, ten centimeters, two seasons ago. Each species, and sometimes a genus or family, has a specific pattern. An alternate bud arrangement is expressed as a fraction, such as one-half, two-thirds, two-fifths, or three-eighths. The top number is the number of turns it takes to reach a bud directly above or below. The bottom number is the number of buds passed. This arrangement helps to identify plants, particularly in winter. This sure will help me learn to tell trees apart. And also how to prune them, Coded noted. Definitely, I agreed. Also, when a terminal bud is removed by pruning or breakage, the buds below will start to grow. 
That's how reduction pruning creates a denser form. Most shoots that grow from old branches, from the trunk or near a large pruning cut, are from pre-existing latent buds, not newly formed adventitious buds. The next cycle of pruning will involve some thinning of this growth to train these oaks into a stable structure. Coniferous species, such as the giant firs and sequoias out in Oregon, continue shoot growth as they respond to environmental conditions. Well, I've got a solution to the Oregon oaks bumps, Coded said proudly. It's caused by less damaging insects. Cynipid wasps lay their eggs in twigs or in the midrib of the newly growing leaf, and the tree responds by building tissue around them, called galls. Calaritis galls are big and ugly and kill whole branches, but these oak apple galls only kill little twigs at worst. Dozens of different parasitoids control their numbers as eggs are injected inside the developing wasp to feed. The intricate ecology surrounding these galls and broader ecosystems surrounding their oak hosts are not well understood. And they've been around for a while, I added. Oak Apple Day is a festival that some still celebrate in England to commemorate the end of their civil war and the restoration of the throne. It's a time for dancing and parties when people pinned oak twigs with oak apples on their clothing. Children would challenge each other to show their oak sprigs or apples and those caught without them would face some form of punishment like being pelted with bird eggs. The Wildlife and Countryside Act of 1981 was one of the most important pieces of environmental legislation in English history. It's now an offense to intentionally take or destroy a nest or egg of any wild bird. But is there such a law in Oregon? Coded wondered. I hear they're very aware of trees and other environmental values, but even if there isn't, I'm going to look for some oak apples to wear when we go to Portland next summer for ISA's annual conference. I definitely want to get up into one of those sequoias. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the ArborPod Detective Dandro series. You can earn CEUs for these podcasts. Just log in at the ISA store, click on online CEU quizzes, and find the Detective Dendro quizzes. Stay tuned for the next ones. This podcast is provided by the International Society of Arboriculture.